0: How are you guys? I I have to confess to you that I am nervous. And although I have a topic given to me Something has been laid on my heart to share and uh, it's very personal, I feel vulnerable about it and uh, part of me is very reluctant to share this but, you know, maybe in this setting um, I can find help on this issue. I have been praying to God for years for an answer to a problem that I struggle with and for whatever reason God has never um, chosen to answer that prayer and my hope had been that tonight um, God would answer but I, I, I'm afraid he hasn't. And so I, I just want your help. Uh, I've prayed faithfully that I would be able to come to an event like this and for once not be the best-looking man there. <laughs> God's never answered that prayer.
1: <laughs>
0: so would you pray with me, brothers? <laughs> so how many of you guys are married? All right, I have a question for you. How many of you went to college between 1965 and 1975? Okay, you know that was a deep m- philosophical time, right? and and people would walk up and ask deep penetrating questions about social issues and it was during this time frame that one question surfaced if a tree falls in the wood and no one's there does it make a sound and and I have a deeper one for those of us who are married and that is, if a man voices his opinion and no woman is present to hear him, is he still wrong?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it's deep. Can you get into it? It's deep. So uh, this guy comes into a bar and he sits down and he says, "Bar He says I want you to line up three of your best Guinness stout and put them right here on the bar for me." He said, "Well, uh, it's kind of an unusual request. If I mean, I don't mind pouring them one at a one at a time. As soon as you're finished, I'll, I, I'll fill it up." So said, the bar's not crowded, I can pay attention to you. He says, oh, no, man, you, you don't understand. He says, my brother Sean and Frarity and I, every Tuesday we get together and we drink a dinner together. He says, but I've moved from Arden, and I miss them, but it's Tuesday night, so I keep the tradition.
1: He says, oh, what a great idea.
0: So every Tuesday the guy comes in and the bartender pours in three Guinness stouts, just lining them up. And this goes on for about a year, and then one day the guy comes in, and his bartender starts to lay out three glasses. He says, so I don't know. Guess two. The bartender got all sad. He said, oh, Patrick, I'm so sorry that one of your brothers has died. So Norman. He says, oh, no, man. He says I, I started going to church last week and so I've given up drinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's deep, isn't it? <laughs> but here's my favorite. This is the irony of life. Have you ever been to New Orleans? If I could, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if I did, I'd come back as a Cajun. What a joy of living. And they have this joke about Thibodeau. Thibodeau is a fictional character. And Thibodeau wins an all-expense-paid trip to Paris. But he doesn't want to go. He's never been outside of his little area. But his friends just how can you pass up an opportunity like this so finally feeling foolish he agrees to go gets on the airplane but as soon as they close that bulkhead door he panics he jumps up he runs toward the door and the flight attendant grabs him and says Thibodeau what's wrong he says I don't want to go He says, well what's wrong? He says, I don't, I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, I don't know the people, I don't, he's on, he says, Thibodeau, Thibodeau, calm down. She says, you're Cajun. Your whole language is built on French. You already know more French than anybody on this airplane. You'll fit right in. So he begins to calm down. And she says, I've got an idea. I'm going to give you an audio cassette player to go with your headphones and it's got spoken conversational French on it it's a seven hour flight from New Orleans to Paris you can listen to that tape the whole way over and by the time you land you will be able to have conversational French just like that it's a good idea so for that seven hours he's listening to that tape and he lands in Paris and one of the French police officers you know a gendarme comes up to him and says bonjour monsieur ¿Cómo se takes a good deep breath and he looks at him and says
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right.
0: I asked uh Walt, I mean, Winston, told me what my topic would be, had my wife delighted in this topic. It's investing in our wives, and I thought I would hide the topic from her for as long as I could. But uh, she found out about it, so I think she is going to order five sets of this tape and lay it around our house. Turn with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 2, and I'd like somebody to grab a mic and let Chuck know who you are and read verse 18, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Now before you do, let me tell you, give you an overview of what I'm going to talk about. One, your wife as a helpmeet. Secondly, the uniqueness of the wife. Third, why you should invest in your wife, and then just practical biblical ways of investing in your wife. OK? So whoever has Genesis 2:18, Chuck, did you find? Them? Would you please read that? Then the Lord God said. It is not good for the man to be alone I will make him a helper suitable for him I will make him a helper and some translations say I will make him a helpmeet the uh, word helpmeet is the Hebrew word ezer which means help succor a helper, a helpmeet, and one who helps. Almost all other times when that word is used in the Hebrew, it refers to God. Uh, let me give you an example. Turn to Exodus 18, verse 4. Exodus 18, verse 4 it says and the one of Moses' sons was named Eliezer for he said the god of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh El referring to God and Azer referring to The action or character of God, God who is my help, Eliezer was his name. Psalm thirty-three twenty. Turn there. Psalm thirty-three twenty. It says Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our Help, Ezer, Ezer, and our shield. Psalm one, fifteen, nine. O Israel, trust in the Lord; He is their help and their shield. Only in Genesis two, verses eighteen and twenty is Azer used to refer to the wife. And almost every other time that you encounter it, it refers to God as our help. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2, where we started, it says that the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone, I will make him a helper, appropriate or suitable for him. Uh, I just came back from depositions in Chicago, and I was able to spend uh, two nights with my mom and dad. And my my stepdad is somewhat large, and he he has sh- shirts that he he likes to buy shirts, and he buys them and he's losing weight, now they're too big on him. So my mother gave me a shirt from my dad and I put it on and it, it just didn't fit. It just, the sleeves came down past my fingers and the cut for the shoulder was down around my elbow. It wasn't suitable. It wasn't appropriate. It didn't fit what, what my needs were. And the same God who defined and designed sun, moon, stars, earth, sea, mountain, hilltops, mountain meadows is the God who designs the wife. And it is notable that in this particular passage, Adam who was smart enough to name all the animals and take on the responsibility of the garden was not aware of his own need. Now, he sees all these pears walking around. But there's kind of a blind spot, and I suspect he may be saying, you know, something's missing, but I can't put my finger on it. (laughs) And it is God who makes the observation that it is not good. Now, this is a judgment made by God. Because so much of the word of God runs counter to whatever culture we live in. Uh, think of the jokes that negate the value of the marital relationship. Shelley, Shecky Green, take my wife, please. Or my old woman, the old gal, the ball and chain. Have you heard My ball and chain. And no, uh, this is being taped, right? Okay, Glenn Thomas, I'm not speaking directly to you. <laughs> Um, God makes the value judgment that it is not good for man to be alone and many cultures will try to make us think that the ideal situation for a man is to be alone but have women committed to you to whom you are not committed and who is the paradigm of that Born. James Bond. I can remember when those James Bond movies came out, the women would just throw at him. He'd have a one night stand and he's off to the next adventure to save the world. But God makes this value judgment. It is not good for man to be alone. And man, Adam, as smart as he was, an undiluted intellect, not polluted by CNN or the Disney Channel or pornographic movies or anything else, doesn't recognize his own need. This is critical to understand in terms of investing in our wives. It means that there is a tendency on our part not to realize the need we have for our wives. I know for years I was very willing and eager to say I love my wife. That was a hip thing to say. But it became extremely difficult for me to say that I needed my wife. That was a whole nother level that I just did not want to enter into. What is it about us that our first reluctance is to say we love them and then our huge second reluctance is to say we need them? But God, omnipotent and omniscient, says, Adam, guess what? You have a need. What is it, God? I got plenty of fruit down here. (laughs) And I got... Plenty of companionship. No, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, and I am going to make a help meet appropriate for you. Now, he must be scratching his head. What in the world is that about? And it is significant that in order to meet this need, God puts Adam to sleep, and then from Adam, from Adam, creates this woman. And I want to come back to that. Now the uniqueness of the wife. She is made from man. It is the only human relationship in the Bible constituting one flesh. If you look with me at Genesis 2 verses, I'd like somebody to read verses 22 through 24. Who will do that? Genesis 2 verses 22 through 24. Somebody raise a mic. Thank you.
1: Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one
0: flesh. One flesh. Uh, And there there is no other relationship in the Bible like that. Now children come from mothers but they are not one flesh. And now there is a mystical spiritual union as far as God can determine from his own perspective that we are one flesh. But unlike those... uh, twins or the two girls born in England who were joined at the hip and the issue the issue was how to separate them so that both live that was the struggle and God says the issue for us is how do you remain one flesh so you can see what I have for you marriage is a living metaphor of Christ's relationship with the church Ephesians 5 verses 30 and 32 if you will turn there for a minute Ephesians 5 verses 30 and 32 it says for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh it says this is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. But there is, in the relationship we have in our wives, a living metaphor about Christ's relationship with the church. And it is an inescapable relationship for us if we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ and one of the things then that we must worry about is the hardness of our hearts toward God repeat that in our relationship with our wives one of the things we must worry about is the hardness of our hearts toward God because it is the hardness of our heart toward God which leads us to become hard toward our wives turn with me for a moment to Matthew 19 verse 8 Jesus is being questioned about the accommodation for divorce that Moses wrote about in the Pentateuch and they ask him at verse 7 why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to send away the wife. And listen to Jesus' answer. Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. Now why would he say the hardness of our hearts? Because there was in the Hebrew culture earlier, in Moses' time, uh, such a callous treatment of a wife that a man would just verbally or physically abuse her if he became dissatisfied with her. So for her own protection, a bill of divorcement was allowed so that she could escape. I, uh, for years, supported a missionary from Orissa, India named Haran Kumar and one of the problems he was trying to deal with in his native culture was to prevent husbands from burning their wives and what they euphemistically called kitchen fires they would douse them with kitchen oil and burn them kill them if they became dissatisfied with them for whatever reason She didn't cook the rice correct today. Uh, we We don't know what it was. And I'm not pointing out the people of India as though they are really any different from us in this regard. The issue is the hardness of the heart. That phrase, hardness of heart, also refers to our lack of faith. When the Hebrew people were led out of Egypt into the desert and they were without water they did not believe that God would provide and in Psalm 95 8 they are described as having hard hearts because they did not believe God that he would provide and I, and I mention that because in a room this size with this many men there is at least one man, right here, right now, who is this close from divorcing his wife. I don't know who you are, so don't think I'm pointing out anybody because I've been told anything. But in a room this size, there is one of you here today. You are that close to having an affair. And somebody else, you are this close to walking out on your wife physically and you may have already walked out on her emotionally. And you don't believe that God can provide water in the desert. And we'll say things like, we just don't communicate anymore. Or, I don't know, we just don't seem to have anything in common. Or, when we were younger, you know, it was exciting to be with her. Sex was fun. And now it's just, everything's boring. I don't feel fulfilled. And you have not made it an issue of prayer to God. And you do not believe that he will provide water in the desert. There is a section in Mark where Jesus feeds 5,000 people plus from just a few loaves and fishes. And then a little bit, later he feeds a group of four thousand with another small group of loaves and fishes and then he leaves with his apostles and he goes across the water and he says beware of the bread of the Pharisees and they look at each other and they go well I mean don't don't we have enough food or or does he want us to go to the village not Jesus has just fed 5000 and then 4000 from basically nothing. And he is a bit upset with them because he did not un- they did not understand that he was talking about the application of spiritual truth. And he said they didn't understand because of the hardness of their hearts. That's Mark 8:17. So there is spiritual truth about your relationship, about our relationship with our wives that we may be unwilling to apply or learn because our hearts are growing hard toward God. And I have found in my experience when a, when a man tells me that he's falling out of love with his wife or he's having a problem, the first thing I wanna question him about is not the relationship with his spouse, that's second. I want to know where he stands with God. Are you in fellowship? Are you uh, attending a Bible-believing church on a faithful basis? Are you in prayer? Are there a group of men, one, two, three, four, to whom you're accountable that you open up your heart and to whom you're vulnerable? What is the state of your relationship with God? And it's unusual. I'm not saying it never happens. It's unusual for a man to say that his relationship with God is vibrant, good, and satisfying. And I want to divorce my wife. That is extremely unusual. So the uniqueness of your wife is that you are one flesh with her. And because you are one flesh with her there is an ability of that relationship to be a marker to the quality of your relationship with God a marker now I recognize that some men may be married to a shrew I understand that now why you should invest in your wife one because you are one flesh with her. Now this is, I, I, I've only begun and I am only beginning to appreciate this more now after being married 29 years. We just had our 29th wedding anniversary in August and my wife has just loved every minute of it. We'll edit the tape, okay? Um, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal, it was a front page article in the Wall Street Journal four years ago. A man had a job. He had started a business. And his business was to find friends for wealthy, successful businessmen. That was his whole business. He would interview you. He would get a personality profile and then he would go out and find friends for you and they would pay five to $15,000 for his services. We live in a time when our success tends to alienate us from other men. And in that alienation, we have less and less accountability. There are no other men to whom we will open up and make our and expose our lives so that they really get to know us our ups and downs our faults our strengths our successes and our failures but if we have one flesh there is a God provided protection against alienation and a lack of accountability now, I'm not saying a wife should replace accountability you have with another man or group of men. But I'm also saying that accountability you have with other men should not replace the accountability relationship you should have with your spouse. Because she has this unique relationship with you. And being close to her will protect you from your own alienation and our tendency to be lonely in a busy world. <coughs> Two your wife is a gift from god proverbs eighteen twenty two says whoso findeth a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor and has obtained the favor of the lord ecclesiastes 9 9 live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of your vanity which God has given you under the sun all the days of your vanity, for that is your portion in this life and in your labor which you take under the sun. In other words, one of the evidences that you have that God loves you and wants you to have richness in your, in your life is a wife. Now I'm wagering that there is at least one man out there who is rolling his eyes inwardly at that statement. All right? But God has given you a wife, whether or not you are able to see her as a gift, it is intended as a gift from God. How do you receive it? Three. Your relationship, this is why you should invest in your wife. Your relationship with your wife may critically affect your communication with God. 1 Peter 3.7 seven says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now listen to this. That your prayers... Be not hindered. Turn with me for a moment there. First Peter, three, seven. First Peter, three, seven. Okay dwell with your wives according to knowledge, point one give honor to them so that your prayers won't be hindered and that word hindered um, in these times when that scripture was written uh, roads were hard to build and expensive to build And there was always, in the major cities, at least one major road leading up to the city called the King's Highway. So that when some dignitary dignitary came to visit, they would come along this one nice little stretch of road that might be the last half a mile up to the city, which was generally walled or gated. And you could pass horses and chariots over this road. Otherwise, it was very difficult to cross the terrain in any level of comfort with wagons, horses, etc. And so if there was a time of war and you wanted to prevent the enemy from bringing on vehicles of warfare close enough to your city to do damage, you would go out to the King's Highway and you would chop it up and make it impassable the word to make it impassable is a military word in the greek and it is the same word that is translated hindered in first peter 3 7 so we are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge and honor them so that we are not making impassable that road that we think we are praying to god so that he will hear Now I tell you, gentlemen, I don't understand this. Frankly, when I communicate to God in whatever state I'm in, I don't, Bill McCurran doesn't want my prayers to be affected by my relationship with my wife. Goodness. That would mean that a good 30% of my prayers will never reach past the rooftop of my house. And I am literally actively defeating my own prayer life. There's that phrase, a verse in Isaiah 59, 2, that says, um, My arm is not shortened that I cannot save, and my ear is not hardened that I cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from me, and so I won't save, and I won't hear. And I can tell you, there have been times when I have been angry with my wife for one reason or another and i'm about to go off on an airplane or go into a court to make an argument or dealing with something that day and i know i know that i am going to turn to god and ask him for help
1: this is the end of side 1 please turn the tape over for side 2